We've been talking about Jesus uh, and we've been talking about the self-revelation of Jesus as the good shepherd. In fact, the first week uh, we talked about him and I spoke concerning his nature as the true shepherd, not a false shepherd, uh, not a shepherd that's only concerned for himself, but rather truly, truly an honest shepherd that cares for the flock. Last week, Pastor Matt spoke about the good shepherd and uh, what a wonderful, wonderful time we had together as he spoke. And then this week, as we finish John chapter 10, I'm going to talk to you about the faithful shepherd, the faithful shepherd. You say, isn't that all about the same thing? Well, they're all characteristics of the same person, but I'm, ask, I'm emphasizing another aspect. Just keep your hand up until they get to you. Thank you. Uh, keep your hand up. And then I'm, I'm emphasizing this last aspect that he is faithful. And it's in my heart this morning. I want to encourage you uh, that know the name of Jesus Christ, that you have believed in him. I want to encourage you with this wonderful passage of scripture and the statements that are made concerning the enduring nature of your salvation and just how safe you are in Jesus Christ. But before I do that, I want you to watch this. One more time. Oh, one is. Quiet. Look at them, look at them. Isn't that amazing? They are coming. It is not um, incidental or unimportant that Jesus decided to reveal himself as the good shepherd. Our passage today, and Pastor Matt so beautifully preached about the fact that God's sheep hear his voice. That is, uh, I can't figure out whether that's Finland or Norway, but it's a, it's a true uh, pastor or a shepherd uh, calling his sheep, and uh, they wouldn't come to hear anybody else. But once he started calling them and they looked and saw him, they came to him. And so it's a perfect illustration of what we're talking about today. So let's read that passage of Scripture. Let's stand together. We're going to read from John 10, verses 22 through 33. John 10, verses 22 through 33. The words are on the screen. If you're our guest today, we welcome you. Thanks for being here. And uh, this is our custom. In honor of the Word of God, we stand. And because we want to see it, read it, hear it, we read it out loud together. And so let's begin in verse 22, and let's read now. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. 
but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man make yourself God. And folks, uh, this is one of those passages of scriptures wherein lies a portion that every believer should memorize. Those verses, chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my father's hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That passage of scripture is an anchor for your soul. Because it makes a promise that the ones that the Lord has called and have come to him are safe and secure. Because we're in the hand of Jesus. And Jesus is in the Father's hand. We've got a double hand grip from the heaven on us. And he's just not going to let us go. And if you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, you're secure, you're safe. You say, well, I just don't always get it right. Yeah, well, Jesus always gets it right. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. Help me as I... As I try to explain and expound and apply the passage, and I pray as we come to the end and as we sing together, I pray, Father, that you would please drive home the truth. And if there's one here that does not know you that is not a sheep yet, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of explanations you need, and the first one is in verse 22, it mentions something called the Feast of Dedication. There was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was a Syrian uh, ruler of the nation of Syria, which at that time was subservient to Rome. But the Romans, especially Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, which he called himself that because he thought he was a god. I'm an epiphany. And so this Antiochus Epiphanes, um, he brought in Greek or Hellenistic culture into the land of Israel. And this all began about, began about 176 BC. And so his desire was to bring these poor ignorant Jews up to speed and let's get them in line with the culture and let's get them just marching to the same beat and dancing to the same music that the rest of us are and everything will be good. And if they just knew what was good for them, they would listen to us. And so they brought in the gymnasiums where all sports were done in nudity and they brought in the statues and they brought in the mytholo mythological figures and they brought in their false gods and they forced and they tried to take over education. They did all kinds of things and they, they tried to tell the people, look, we don't want you to observe the Sabbath anymore. It's worthless. We don't want you to circumcise your boys anymore. It's worthless. We don't want you to follow the law of Moses. Don't even pay attention to it because it just doesn't help you get in line with our culture. This is what they were saying to them. 
that little cultural effort was an abomination to the true Jews. Now, God's not speaking right now. In Malachi, he stopped talking. For 400 years, he doesn't say anything until Matthew, but just because he wasn't talking didn't mean he wasn't working. Now, here's the deal. And so Antiochus and his people said, we're not getting anywhere with the cultural adaptation way of doing things. So we're going to have to pass a law against this Jewish religion. And we're going to have to persecute these people. And they passed the law and they began killing them wholesale because of this law that was passed. So first culture, then law. Does that sound familiar? And then, so this is exactly what they were doing. Well, a man named Judas Maccabeus, who was a very strong leader and was a child of a priest, uh, and he said, no way, no how, this is not going to happen. And he raised up a rebellion and they rebelled and they went in. Now, what had happened is that Antiochus had set up a statue of Zeus, a statue of himself. And in the month of November, late October, November of 164 BC, he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the city of Jerusalem in the temple. That's it. They raised up the rebellion. They came in great, with great furor and they threw out Antiochus. In fact, he died that same year and they cleansed the temple. They rededicated and reconsecrated. They threw out the, the statue of Zeus, got rid of the statue of Antiochus. They cleaned up the whole place. They purified the place and then they dedicated it and they began a festival that is still going on today and you have heard of it. It's not called the Feast of Dedication. It is called Hanukkah. How many of you have heard the word Hanukkah? And sometimes Christians think, oh, it's a Jewish thing. We don't have to worry about it. Oh, it's a big deal. Jesus went and celebrated Hanukkah in Jerusalem with those Jews to remember. Now, it wasn't one of the big three. It was not Passover. It was not the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was not Pentecost. It wasn't even listed in the Old Testament. But Jesus thought it important. And he went. It was a festival of lights. He had to go. You see, John 8 verse 12 said, Jesus revealed himself and says, I am the light of the world. So he's not going to let this other festival of lights outshine him. And so Jesus shows up at the festival of lights. He said, well, when did it happen? It happened two and a half months after the close of the feast of tabernacles, four months roughly before Jesus goes to the cross. And so that's the Feast of Dedication. Where did it happen? Well, it happened in Jerusalem at the temple in a place called Solomon's Porch. And that's listed in there. Well, Solomon's Porch is also known as Solomon's Portico. It's also known as the Colonnade, Solomon's Colonnade. It was on two sides of the temple. The east side had a double row of columns that faced east called Solomon's Porch and then Solomon's Portico on the south side, which makes sense since it was winter. They don't want to have been there where the sun of, sun of the winter would have shined on them. Four rows of columns. Jesus was there teaching and the same group that had been hounding him at the Feast of Tabernacles finds out that he's back there teaching. They show up again and they say, hey. Will you just stop all of this stuff and just tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And that's where we pick up this story, Jesus answering their questions. The metaphor of the shepherd and his sheep continued from the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus picked it up and says, look, says, uh, beginning at verse number 25, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe. He says it twice because you are not of my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he says to them, you are not of my sheep. You say, so this emphasis today on being the sheep of his pasture and having a shepherd name, is that important? Oh, it's, it's incredibly important because people who are not God's sheep can't hear his voice and won't follow him. And the people who are his sheep do hear his voice and they do follow him. And this is what the passage of scripture talks about. It's crucial. If you're not a sheep, then uh, you want to know that you're not a sheep so that you can become a sheep because the worst thing in the world would be to live your life as a goat and not know that you're a goat and die and be separated from God forever. So I want you to notice three aspects of these sheep this morning. Write them down quickly and I'll move quickly. The first thing is his sheep believe in him. Verse number 25. He said, I told you, you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but because you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. So the opposite would be true. His sheep believe in him. They asked the question. Uh, They said to him, they said, how long are you going to keep us in the dark? Uh, Why don't you just come out and tell us if you're the Christ? And it's like this. He says, where have you guys been? Uh, You tried to stone me in John chapter 8 when I said, I am the I am. And you picked up stones trying to kill me at that time. And then uh, back in chapter 5, whenever I healed that man at the pool of Bethesda and, uh, and I did it on the Sabbath, you wanted to kill me at that time because I was breaking your laws and revealed my power as divine. And then in chapter 6, he said, I clearly told you that I am the bread of life. I am come down from my Father in heaven and I am the true bread of life that gives life to every man. And you didn't believe that. And he says, I'm telling you and I'm showing you, you're not believing anything. Then in John chapter 7, he said, if anyone believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of water. And he was just making a reference back to the promise that was made in the book of Isaiah that this is who I will be. And I'm going to bring real living. They had a water festival and they had a light festival. And he says, look, I'm living water and I am the true light. And he says it again here by showing up at the feast of lights, the feast of dedication, Hanukkah, which they celebrate today this year. It will be from the 8th to the 15th of December this year and the Jews, true Jews, will light lights and put them in their houses and they'll feast and they will celebrate and they'll talk about their deliverance and the cleansing of the temple. Uh, They'll talk about it for eight days. And so he said, but the problem is this, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do, they bear witness, but you don't believe. He said it twice, you don't believe. And so we have to ask that question. Well, if they could hear his words and they could see his works, why did they not believe? Well, here's the reason why. He said, because you are not of my sheep. You can't hear, you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. True sheep believe the Lord and they believe the man and they believe his message and they believe his miracles. They believe his word and they believe his works. So the characteristic of a goat is this. They are stubborn unbelievers. You say, well, what, 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 what do you mean stubborn unbelievers? Well, everybody was an unbeliever at some point in their life. How many of you are believers in the Lord Jesus? Raise your hand. But there was a time you weren't. So we're not talking about general unbelief. We're not talking about the idea of unbelief because all people were unbelievers until the time they heard the call of God and came to Jesus and believed. But these are different. These are stubborn unbelievers. They have seen and heard and they saw the evidence. And I mean, it piled up, but they didn't care. They just were, they were decided in their unbelief. These are goats. They're stubborn unbelievers. Jesus said, you're not a sheep. Now, let me give you a word about the doctrine of election this morning. I don't want to go off on a long tangent on, on theology, but let me just say something. That is this, from God's viewpoint, 
from God's viewpoint and according to his foreknowledge, sheep are his, and he knows who they are before the world began. He knows his sheep, he knows every one of them, and they hear his voice and come to him. From a human standpoint and a human perspective, one becomes his sheep by believing, continuing to believe, and it is evidenced by following. Uh, that might create tension in our thinking, but it doesn't create anything but blessing in God's mind. God knows those that are his. We know we become his because we believe. Now, let me give you a philism this morning. You say, what is that? Well, that's a way of saying things that I think might help you understand this. A philism. Here it is. Only the chosen will believe God. Only those who believe God are the chosen. Both things are true. Only the chosen will believe. And then only those who are believing are the chosen. From God's point of view, he knows who who are his. From our point of view, we become his when we believe. Stubborn unbelievers never have enough evidence. They never have enough evidence. Jesus had done so many miracles in front of them. I mean, he fed the 5,000, which is more like 18,000. In John chapter 6, when you count the women and children. And what do they do the very next day? They show up and they say, hey, we saw that yesterday, but show us a sign so that we can believe. Don't talk about yesterday's sign. Show us a new sign. And so he did all of these signs, but it was never enough. Later in the book of John chapter 20, 21, he's going to say this. He's going to say that he did so many things and he did so many things while he was here, so many miracles that if they were all recorded and they were all, uh, they were all uh, narrated, then all of the books of the world could not contain all of the signs that he did. But they said this. They said, show us another sign. Jump through another hoop. Do something else. Well, one of the marks of being a stubborn unbeliever is that no matter what the Lord does, it's never enough. It's stubborn unbelief. John says this in chapter 12, we'll come to it. Though he had performed so many signs before him, yet they were not believing in him because stubborn unbelief will never have enough evidence. Don't confuse me with the evidence. My mind is made up. Stubborn unbelievers then also will never yield to Christ. They never yield. A stubborn unbeliever, he's never going to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 19, there was a group of people who said this in a parable. They said, look, we will not have this man rule over us. Well, that's a true attitude and sign of unbelief, stubborn unbelief. We will not have this man rule. It doesn't matter who he is. They knew he was the, he was the son of God, the son of the king. They knew who he was, but we will not have this man rule. Let me just tell you a little bit of secret about atheism and agnosticism. It is not that there is evidence that they can produce that there is no God. That's not what it's about. It's not about evidence. It's about the idea that if there is a God, then they're accountable to him and they'll have to do what he says. So why is this situation? Well, let me go on and say, this is the attitude of stubborn unbelief, and they couldn't believe. You say, what, couldn't they really believe? And Jesus says, no, you are not of my sheep. You're not one of mine, and his sheep believe him. And it's interesting, in John 12, he's going to say he had performed all these miracles in front of them, but they didn't believe him. But here's something else that you really got to get a hold of. They didn't want to, they didn't want to yield to Christ. And then something else, stubborn unbelievers eventually commit the unpardonable sin. I've been asked questions about the unpardonable sin all of my life. Pastor Phil, I'm just so worried that I've committed the unpardonable. Well, if you're worried about it, you haven't. 
the unpardonable sin. Two verses later, I, I, I quoted John 12, 37. Listen, uh, let me just tell you what John 12, 39 says. Jesus goes on to say, because you, you would not believe in him, you cannot believe in him. Why? Because the Lord hardens their heart. Let me give you an Old Testament example of that. A man named Pharaoh. How many of you ever heard of the man named Pharaoh in Egypt? And we hear people say all the time, well, Pharaoh didn't have a chance. God raised him up as an example. And he just didn't, oh no, that's not true. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his own heart four times and then God began to harden his heart the fifth time and confirmed him in it. Four times he hardened his own heart. Then God confirmed his unbelief and he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he couldn't believe. And so this is what happened. So he says in the case of these people that are here, that are listening, he says to thee, I'm giving you light and you're not responding to the light. I gave you more light and you did not respond to that light. I did all of these miracles before you and you didn't respond. And you are just stubborn unbelievers. We need to call on the Lord, by the way, while he is near. Call on him while he's calling on us. Don't make the assumption we can put him off so important. They would not believe, therefore they could not believe. There's a name for that in the Bible. When you get to the place where you have said no so long, I don't believe so long, there's something that's called the unpardonable sin where God quits drawing you. It's always important not to just put God off, folks. Here's something else. His sheep belong to him. This, this really gets to be the blessing part that I really want to emphasize. His sheep belong to him. Look at verse number 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. He says to them, he said, you don't believe, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. And then verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them something. When you're one of the Lord's sheep, you belong to him. I want you to notice these characteristics, but before I do, I want you to just get this in your mind and understand this, that one of the ways that God looks at us, Ephesians chapter one and verse 13 and following says that when the work of the Holy Spirit happens in our heart and we hear the word of God, we're drawn to the truth, we believe and call on the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals us. He is the seal and he moves in us to the point that when God looks at me and he looks at you, he doesn't see you and all of your sins. He sees the Holy Spirit, the seal of God that lives in you, who's taken up residence and he will never leave. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so let me just say this. What are these characteristics of true sheep? Well, they hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. You saw the video clip that I gave you at the beginning. Three different people tried to call the sheep. The sheep ignored them. That, that illustration is not just there because it's not real. It's a real illustration. God said, the best way I think I can make these people understand what it means to follow me and hear my voice is I'm just going to use these sheep. And maybe he created them that way. And so they call the sheep and what do the sheep do? Well, when they heard the voice of the true shepherd, what did they do? They came running. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. We talked about stubborn unbelievers. Well, how do you get to be a stubborn unbeliever? Well, you hear his voice, you don't respond. And when you hear his voice and you don't respond, your heart gets hard and your ears get dull. And then it's harder to hear. I've been in the ministry a very long time and I can talk about many people in my acquaintance that have heard the call of God, felt like God was calling them, but they just didn't listen. They put it off and put it off. And over time, they just got to the place where they didn't hear it anymore, didn't want it anymore, didn't care to talk about it anymore. Don't talk to me about that. Sheep hear his voice and something else, he knows them, each and every one. He knows them. The Lord knows us at his own sheep. And here's what I'd like to say to you this morning. Here's what God does when he looks at you and he sees you. He doesn't, he doesn't see all of your sins and failures. He doesn't see all of those things. He sees this. He sees mine. 
He looks at you, Doug, today, and he sees you, and I know you. We're friends. We're in the same small group. I hear you teach, and he gets up and teaches. This man's an amazing teacher, and he's talking. He talks about his failures. I'm going to tell you, Doug, when God looks at you, it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. He's written over your life, mine. And he says, those that are mine, I have in my hand, and I'll never lose them. Now, folks, that's, that's, that's a good thought. Jesus has got a hold of us. He's not going to let us go. Mine. They hear his voice and he knows them. He knows who they are. Uh, There's a reference here in Isaiah 43, verse 1. Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Listen to this. You are mine. So here's this picture of eternal life. Jesus defined it in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's all about a relationship. It's about who you know and who knows you. Not only that we know him, but much more importantly, that he knows us. My sheep hear my voice. And the next phrase says, and I know them. We talk a lot about knowing God. And Packer wrote a book, G.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. It's a wonderful book. We ought to know him, know about him. Second uh, Peter chapter two, 1 says that, that we, we partake of his divine nature because of what we know of him and about him and from him. Knowing God, but oh, it's far more important to be known by God. Matthew 7, 21, I just want to make a warning to everybody here. Nobody's going to come to the end of life and talk their way into heaven. You're not going to fast talk your way past God. You're not going to be able to do that. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, many will say to me on that day, what day? The final day, the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Yeah, but we know you. It doesn't matter. I never knew you. Let me see if I can illustrate that. Suppose a celebrity comes to Des Moines. And he wants to throw a great reception for uh, all of the people that he knows and the people who collaborate and work with him and the people that he has either employed or associates that he works with. And let's say the person who comes to town is Elon Musk. So I picked him because it's such a strange name. And I thought a lot of people know him and it's a weird name and I'm going to use it. So Elon Musk decides to come to town and he throws a big reception. And he sends out invitations to certain people that he knows and everything is made ready. And they do it down at Hy-Vee Hall. And all the people show up and line up and they're waiting to come in as a guest of the people of Elon Musk. Well, Elon uh, Musk has a guest list and he knows who are the people he has invited and who the people are. He knows them. And so he's got all the names on the list. And so people step up one right after another. And this one says, yeah, I know Elon, blah, blah, blah. He says, yeah, but your name's not on the list. He doesn't know you. Step aside. He doesn't know you. Folks, it's not going to matter if people claim to know Mr. Musk. It's going to matter if Mr. Musk claims to know them and he's got his name on the list. Let me tell you a little something. It's not going to matter how fast we can talk and how much we think we know about the Bible and how much, how much theology we know or how often we went to church or how often we did this. It's not going to be about that. It's going to be about, does he know us? I, my sheep, I know them and I give unto them eternal life. We're not going to fast talk our way into heaven, but here's the good news. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And let me move to the next thought here. The next thought is this. His sheep follow him. And I'm not going to beat this drum too much because we've talked about it so much. But those who believe, continue to believe, John 8, 30 to 33. Those who believe, follow him, the passage that we just read. And please don't make the mistake of thinking that praying a prayer and marching through a baptistry are the evidence of salvation. Nope. 
That's not the evidence of salvation. That's your first step in profession of faith. The evidence of true salvation is the perseverance of your life. You continue, continue to believe, continue to follow. You're not perfect, but you continue. It's enough said. And then his sheep, this is it. This is wonderful. This is the pinnacle of the message. His sheep are gifted. He said, does that mean I've got a lot of gifts that I can do like Ephesians 4? No, no, no. I'm talking about something else altogether. They are given the greatest gift of all. That is the gift of eternal life. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I love the way the amplified version puts that. It says, and they shall never ever by any means perish. It's a double negative. It's bad English, but it's really good theology. Oh, they shall never perish. I give them eternal life. I talk to people all the time that worry, oh, somehow I've sent my way out of God's love and I've just lost this. I've fallen. Well, I want you to think about this. How long is eternal life? Well, eternal life is for eternity. It's forever. And you know, we get hammered sometimes. I do. And we preach this and teach this from the scriptures. Somebody will say, well, you're just preaching Baptist doctrine. No, I'm not preaching Baptist doctrine. I'm preaching Bible doctrine because I believe the Bible. I believe the doctrine. I know somebody that was saved and now they're lost, somebody will say. They used to be saved. They're not saved anymore. And I'm going to say to you, no, you don't. You do not know somebody who was saved and now they're lost because that person doesn't exist. You might know somebody who thought they were saved, who professed they were saved, but 1 John 2.19 says, they went out, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But the fact that they went out manifest, makes it known that they were not of us. The Lord knows who is genuine and who is not. And eternal life is a present reality. It's not just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. John 5, 24, we preach this already, but I've got to refer to it. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who has sent me has eternal life. That's present tense right now. I understand English. When it says they have it, it means right now. Listen, eternal life's not a future commodity. Eternal life's not just about the sins being forgiven in the past. Eternal life is a quantity and a quality of life. It's abundant life and we have it right now. How many of you are believers in Jesus? Then you have a relationship with him and your eternal life has begun. You're going to move houses one of these days. You're going to shift your tent, going from this tent to a new tent, this house to an eternal house, this body to an eternal body, but you're eternal. It is eternal life. If you could lose this eternal life in five years, 10 years, or 50 years, what did you have? Well, you had five-year life, or 10-year life, or 50-year life. But the Bible says, I give to them eternal life, and they shall never, no, not ever perish. Folks, we have double security because we're in Jesus' hands, and Jesus is in the Father's hands. When I was younger and had little kids at home, we'd play a game sometimes and I'd get a toy, some small toy of theirs and I'd get it in this hand, put it in this hand over this hand. I said, all right, anybody can get this out of my hands. I'd give them $5. And man, we'd get down and they'd wrestle and play and Philip would really get after it. I mean, he'd almost come down and bite my hand. It was almost that bad. But anyway, we'd just do it and they, and they couldn't get anything out. Well, they were small, but you know, as time went on, they got stronger. Maybe they could, but I want to tell you something. You cannot, there's nothing you can do to take yourself out of Jesus' hands and out of the Father's hands. You just can't, nobody can take you out of his hands. You are safe in the hands of Jesus, safe in the hands of your Father. Let me see if I can illustrate this from the Old Testament. Do you remember Noah? Remember that fellow in the Old Testament? God said, Noah, build me an ark because it's going to rain. What's that, Lord? Anyway, 
So he built this ark and the time came for Noah, family, and all the animals to go into the ark. And the Bible said, and God closed the door and sealed them in. So God put them in and God closed the door and they were inside. And what happened? Well, for 40 days and 40 nights, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven and the floods came and the floods rose and oh, it just, and it shook that ark and it, and it moved them from one place to another and it just rained and rained and that that rain of judgment, that flood of judgment, not one drop of judgment got on the inside of the ark. Oh, and there's something else that's really, really cool about it. Listen to me, listen to me. Noah and his family in the shaking of the ark might have fallen down many times in that ark, but they never fell out of the ark, did they? I just want to tell you today that you just can't fall out of Jesus' hands. You can't fall out of the hands of the Father. How many of you have sinned a time or two since you said yes to Jesus? You raise your hand. Well, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even if you don't remember all the sins and you can't confess every one of them, Jesus paid it all. He died for all of your sins on the cross. And he took you in his hands and the Father took his hands over you. And there's nothing, there's no way, no how, not anybody, not any power, not anyone, not even yourself can take you out of his hands. I'm just here to announce to you today that I'm saved and safe and secure and so are you in the hands of Jesus. He saved you and you're safe. How many of you are believers in Jesus? Say amen. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they're in my hand. They're in the Father's hand and they can never be taken out. You say, well, but I'm, I might make a mistake, but I'm telling you, it's not about your performance. It's about his grace and about his goodness and about his performance. Because when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sins. So how do you know if you're a sheep? Well, you believe it. And you belong to him and you follow him and you hear his voice and you respond to him. And you res- do you respond perfectly? No. God's not concerned about perfection in your life. God's concerned about the direction of your life. Are you moving on with him? Are you responding to him? Are you fighting with him? Are you a, his sheep? Do you hear his voice? Or do you care what he thinks? Finally, let me just say it quickly. My sheep know something else. His sheep know that he is God. Verse number 30. I and my father are one. I got quiet then at that moment. Those Jews, you can just see the seething hatred rise in their faces as once again they reach for the stones. And Jesus said, look, I did many good works for my father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews said, for a good work, we don't stone you. But for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus never said that he was God. There it is again. You make yourself God. He didn't have to make himself God. He was God. Come in the flesh. John chapter 1 and verse 14 and 20. So sheep know that he is God. They confess him as Lord. Romans 10, 9. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, confession is made unto salvation. Heart, heart we believe and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so they confess him as God. Now, does that mean that the father and the son are the same person, that he and the father are just exactly the same person? That's not exactly what he's saying at all. They're not the same person. They are one in will. They're one in essence. They're one in nature. They're one in purpose, but they're two distinct people. God exists in a trinity, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
They're all three distinct people. And so that leads me to say something else here. They see him as, not only do they confess him as God, but they see him as equal with the Father. And I put a word there on your sheet that you need to write down. It's up on the screen. And uh, this is my theological moment at the, in the sermon this morning. It's not modalism, not modalism. You say, well, what is that? Well, it's sometimes called oneness Pentecostalism. I'm not starting a war with Pentecostals this morning. And I respect them highly. But Pentecostalism, and it teaches this, it teaches that God is one in the idea that he is not three persons, he's just one person, is what they say. And that Jesus is this one God, sometimes this one God presents himself as the Father, sometimes this one God presents himself as the Son, and sometimes he presents himself as the Spirit. That's called modalism. Well, folks, I want to tell you, Jesus is not playing three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is God in three persons. And the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said this. He said, it's an imperative that I go away. We're coming to this passage. It is an imperative that I go away because if I don't go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. Well, what's this about? Well, the Bible says that whenever we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into our life. And he is, well, he said he is one that's just like me and he's going to live inside of you. Well, let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus today? Well, quite often we say, well, he's in my heart. Well, what we're really saying is, is not that Jesus, the bodily son of God who is sitting at the right hand of the father, who still sports the nail scars in both hands and in his feet. And he is the one that's coming back because Acts chapter one, verse 11 says, look here, he says, this same Jesus that you've seen rise to go into heaven, he, this same one, he's coming back. No, no, no. The Jesus of the cross is sitting at the right hand of the father and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And one day the father's going to say to the son, go get our children. And he's going to come and blow a trumpet and there's going to be a voice of an archangel and we're going to rise and we're going to go be with him forever. But until then, the Holy Spirit lives in our heart. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the true, the good, the faithful shepherd. He will never let go of his sheep. Revelation 1.5 says he is the faithful witness. He saw you, heard you. He's a witness of the belief and faith that you put in Jesus. He's a faithful witness. Revelation 3, 7 and 14 say he is the faithful and true witness, not false. He's always going to get it right. Revelation 19, 11, and 16 say he is faithful and true, and also that he is king of kings and lord of lords. I just want to tell you this morning, and I can say it, hallelujah, I'm in the New Testament ark of safety, and his name is Jesus, and I can never fall out of his hand, and he can never fall out of his father's hand, and I'm as safe and secure as I can possibly be. Are you? Have you believed in Jesus? Can you say that? Warren Wiersbe said it this way, Jesus is a, has a threefold relationship. He's not three people, but we got a threefold relationship with him. He, is a, he has a loving relationship with us because he died for us. He has a living relationship with us because he cares for us. And we have a lasting relationship with him because he keeps us and not a one is lost. Folks, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Folks, I am just telling you here this morning that he that has done a good work in me and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm just here to tell you that truly, truly I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that has sent me hath everlasting life and shall not know ever, no, not ever come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. I'm just telling you that we're in the hands of Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Can you say amen? We're safe. Maybe you're not safe.
Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're hearing it this morning. You hear the call, the word of God. You hear the fact of the gospel and you want to be saved, but you can be. I'm going to let the trio come. They're going to sing a song that I love. And it says this so well. I want you to stand to your feet. And those of you that are believers that are truly safe in Jesus and you know it, I want you to use these prayer benches this morning. I want you to come up here and I want you to, if you, if the Lord's speaking to you, I want you to come and just say, thank you, Jesus. I've failed you, but you haven't failed me. And even when I'm weak, you're strong. And even when I, when I, when I deny you in the way that I'm walking and living, you never deny me. Lord, you're, you're just wonderful because you are faithful and true. Folks, I want to tell you, our Redeemer is faithful and true.